Hello, and welcome to the Green Leads Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. We're a little late with our episode this week, putting this out on a Friday rather than a Tuesday. I wanted to give everyone a little bit of time to relax after the long Memorial Day weekend, and I thought just give a few extra days. But next week, we'll be back to episodes on Tuesdays. I've been trying to do two episodes a week. It doesn't always happen, but I always make sure that that interview comes out for you guys to download and listen to on Tuesdays. Speaking of interviews, this week's interview is with Wendy Reinhardt Capsack, who's the president and CEO of the Produce for Better Health Foundation, otherwise known as PBH. Uh, full disclosure, I am an ambassador for PBH, and I am so because I love their mission. Essentially, what PBH does is they try to get people to eat more fruits and vegetables, which is something that clearly I can get behind as a plant-based dietitian. They're really just trying to teach people to eat more fruits and vegetables. And this episode this week is actually a discussion between Wendy and I about a, a recent report they did on the fact that most Americans are not getting nearly enough fruits and vegetables and all of their findings there. So we talked about some interesting stuff like how 80% of Americans are under-consuming fruit and 90% are under-consuming vegetables. Um, and even though people know the benefits of these foods, they're not really getting enough. And whether or not this is a global problem or it's specific to America, we also talked about barriers to eating fruits and vegetables and then how the pandemic has changed people's consumptions of fruits and vegetables. Wendy had some really interesting takes. She talks about how she thinks fruits and vegetables have each one has its own emotion which i thought was really fun and we just talked about a lot of stuff when it comes to eating produce so i think you guys are really going to like this interview in the meantime make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you see when the new episode launches and reach out to me if you have questions or feedback i'm at greenleets on instagram send me a dm or you can email me podcast at greenleets.com uh, i'm excited to hear from you so let's jump into this episode Hi, Wendy. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm excited to chat with you. You talk about all things produce, which is kind of the world that I live in because I'm a plant-based dietitian and I deal with a lot of plant-based clients. Um, but today we're going to talk about something called the state of the plate, mm -hmm. which was a report that came out that kind of talked about how people are actually not eating as many plants as we would like them to. So within that report, it's stated that 80% of people are under consuming fruit and 90% are under consuming vegetables. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for what you do. You know, so we would say that fruits and vegetables are the plants that no one is eating enough of. And so even when people hear terms like plant-based or plant-forward, we, a lot of can, people out there are consumers are thinking about fruits and vegetables, but that's not always um, the thrust, if you will, of the plant forward or plant-based dialogue. So thanks for what you do and elevating fruits and vegetables as a key component of plant forward or plant-based eating. Um, the state of the plate report, I just want to give our listeners a sense or ground them in what it is is, you know, we hear a lot of these numbers like, oh, the majority of Americans aren't eating fruits and vegetables, but there's so many different types of data out there on this. So let me just explain what the state of the plate report even is. Um, every five years, PBH 
commissions an organization called the NPD Group. And they have a cohort that um, every week um, they engage new people um, in America and they ask them like all the things that they eat and drink and how they eat and drink them and not always how much um, they only can do that for a, a few of their items, but but really they ask essentially how frequently are you eating these? And so PBH every year I mentioned commissions the NPD group utilizing their national eating trends database. And then we're looking and saying, okay, we're super interested in fruits and vegetables. And we come up then with this report, the state of the plate was really like, who, what, when, where, why, how um, about fruit and vegetable consumption overall. And you're right. If we think about this, what we end up finding, looking at the data a little bit differently than you described it, is actually most Americans are not like your listeners. And <laughs> they actually are very light, what we call light frequency fruit and vegetable consumers, meaning they eat vegetables maybe once per day and fruit actually even less. And so that's kind of interesting because it really means that there's room for improvement. And really what your listeners um, can do also, given some additional insights into this research, is really inspire people um, based on how they're currently um, getting more plants into their diet. And I, I think it's interesting that you said that they eat uh, vegetables and fruits once per day because because I think a lot of people would probably think, hey, I'm doing my part. I'm eating vegetables every day, but that's mm -hmm. not necessarily enough, right? So do you, mm -hmm. why do you think that they're not getting enough? Do you think it's that they just are not sure how much they should have or other reasons? Mm -hmm. So we look at um, a lot of with behavioral science. And, and so in fact, we have a scientific advisory committee that really is for the first time brings food and nutrition scientists together with behavioral scientists. And um, a lot of behavioral scientists would say that there's a framework for which lots of behaviors could be improved. And so that could be anything from like saving for your retirement um, all the way to eating fruits and vegetables. And so that behavioral framework is called know, feel, and do. And so know is K-N-O-W. You mentioned this, how much people should be eating. In fact, PBH or the Produce for Better Health Foundation as an organization had a campaign that was very much focused on the no or how much. And that was something called five a day. It was actually around when I was younger. And then it went to something called more matters. This idea like, yeah, like uh, just, it's not just five. It could be more. It could be, but like whatever you're doing today, can you do a little more? And so um, we actually transitioned to a consumer call to action that tries to not just talk about no or K-N-O-W, but also feel and do. And so a lot of times folks might stop at the no part, which is still really important. Fruits and vegetables are healthy for you. Um, you know, here's 10 ways of making spaghetti squash or something like that. That's all great, but it's the emotive elements of the fruit and vegetable eating experience that I think many people are missing out on. And there, a lot of communications have not been directed to the feeling, the experience. In fact, a lot of your listeners, based on their current lifestyle, might say, when I don't eat fruits and vegetables, I feel a certain way. 
and they've experienced, let's say, the short-term benefits of eating fruits and vegetables. And then there's the do part, and that's just the straight-up action. So a key tenet of behavioral science in the context of that framework would be um, if you want people to do something, you need to make it easy. And so that's a direct quote from um, Dr. Thaler, who's a Nobel um, Prize-winning behavioral scientist. And so for many folks, they haven't moved from the knowledge that they're healthy for us to then making it easy um, to actually incorporate it into their everyday life. And so the interesting thing about the re- this uh, state of the plate research is that for those people that are not consuming fruits and vegetables, let's say every single day or even at every single meal or snack occasion, easy for them is maybe very different than easy for your listeners who are like crushing it when it comes to eating fruits and vegetables. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because within this report, one of the things that it said was that the top growing vegetables are potatoes, including fries, Caesar salad, tomato sauce and paste and tomato salsa. So to me, when you just said making it easy, I thought of those things because those are easy. You just take it out of a jar, you take it out of a can, Caesar salad, maybe you buy it out somewhere and same thing with potatoes. Do you think that that's why people are eating those kinds of vegetables? Mm -hmm. Well, if we think about it like this, um, is that I would say, Maybe Um, most Americans are not eating vegetables, let's say. And so when we think about that, that means that they're very light frequency fruit and vegetable consumers. They're light vegetable consumers. And um, let me just give you a little more nuance there. So light vegetable consumers are more likely to depend on getting fruits or vegetables, in this case, vegetables, away from home, meaning I'm going to rely more on a food service establishment to provide me the opportunity to consume those products. And so for those people, they're easy for them means someone else did it for me. Um, And so, as you mentioned, some of those items, particularly, let's say potatoes um, and that growth number it's not totally inclusive of, of French fries, but a big part of it is. That certainly, as you mentioned, is easy. Now, when we look up at vegetables, let's say eaten in the home, it's important to look at them, yes, within like just their individual state, meaning green beans or salad or something. But we also want to look at in the context of how they're eating them and and what are the dishes that people eat most often. And so the tomato sauce and or paste or salsas, a lot of people do Taco Tuesday. A lot of people do a pasta night um, or even a pizza night. And so I look at that and I say, how do I not negate those uh, opportunities, but how do I build on them, particularly considering most Americans are light fruit and veggie consumers? Um, how do I look at ways to assemble and or add more fruits and veggies to those types of um, eating uh, or, or dishes? Because that's where people are today. I also would think a lot of this comes down to taste, right? Like I, I personally 
always joke around and say, if you're eating steamed broccoli, you're doing something wrong because there's so many other delicious ways you could eat broccoli or eat vegetables. And it's not necessarily that easy to know how to do that right off the bat. You have to obviously experiment with different Mm -hmm. things and try different recipes. But I do think a lot of people think vegetables and I mean, more so vegetables and fruit don't taste good. That's right. I agree with you there. So, um, Now, I will say there's some nuance in that too, when you look at who's eating fruits and vegetables and who's not, but you know, there's a way of looking at this data and it's called indexing. And so when you look at vegetables, for example, indexed or compared to other foods, let's pick, let's just pick for fun chocolate. So fruits and vegetables index high for healthfulness because people like know that meaning Oh yeah, I when I choose those, I choose them because they're healthy, and I know they are, um, and that's one part of the equation, right? The other part is, um, and it, that, this gets to the feeling part is I crave it. It's a favorite, and that's how NPD asked this question, for example. So vegetables, for example, only thirty percent of the time are they, let's say, crave worthy, or that's a motivator for eating them. Um, and create, that would be a proxy craveable for taste. Absolutely. Um, and then the last part is the doing, and that can, that can be connected to indexing for, I have it on hand. Obviously if it's accessible to me, it's somewhat easy. And then the other part is, um, you know, it's, it's a part of my routine. And so vegetables do not necessarily index high among consumers for craveability um, or ease, meaning I have it on hand and it was easy to use in the context of my day. So there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for anything from product innovation to basic, let's say, cooking skills and or techniques, um, like you were talking about with the, you know, the straight up raw broccoli or steamed broccoli um, by itself. And, um, and certainly just people knowing that for us, we look at all forms of fruits and vegetables. So um, other research lets us know when all forms of fruits and vegetables are available in the home, um, you know, people are more likely to consume them. So different forms for different occasions, different moments, different nights of the week, let's say, depending on people's schedules and or behaviors. That just reminded me that my sister actually texted me last night and she said, I've been meaning to ask you something. And I'm like, what? And she goes, how do you cut a cauliflower? (laughs) And I was just like, I mean, she eats vegetables all the time. And it's just, it's kind of what you said. It's not always easy. It's not familiar with people, those kinds of things. She's like, I'm going to go on YouTube and look how to cut a cauliflower. Because it's it's sometimes it's more complicated than just taking out something else that's easier to make. So it's almost, Mm -hmm, it requires mm -hmm. a little extra effort. And, you know, when we um, launched in 2019, the have a plant movement, um, and this is again, focused on the fruit and vegetable eating experience to some degree, it reinforces the knowledge part, you know, fruits and vegetables are like healthy for you. Um, It gets people to, you know, people have a feeling towards it because it particularly maybe for your your listeners, it aligns with their beliefs. Um, and or what their hope for themselves. And then people want to share more information about it. Now, we also try to understand in that context um, what it's like as professionals, our food and nutrition professionals, dietitians, we may say fruits and vegetables. Da, 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 da. 
but mm-hmm. they actually have very different personalities. It's like your kids, you love them all the same, but you know what? They're different. And the approach to them is super different too. So for example, um, fruits are like your firstborn. They're like typically a little easier. Maybe <laughs> um, they want to p- please you and veg uh, fruits, for example, you know, they're, they're juicy, they're sweet. And so we're almost like, like them a little bit easier or something, but then it's like vegetables, like, oh my gosh, they're like work. I have to like do something and they're less happy and joyful. They're actually, you have to be like smart, um, or something to deal with them. And so the head of cauliflower, more than just the fresh cut, let's say that I could have gotten, it's like, oh my gosh, what's that? I've got to do something. I've got to, oh, now I got to like, you know, clean a knife and the cutting board. Blah. Who wants to do that? So it is your, it's your, your sister's on something because um, they also have different personalities and how we use them and how consumers eat them is really different. Fruit is way more versatile across all eating occasions. Whereas um, vegetables are seen more as a um, lunch or dinner type of situation. Um, the other thing is fruit is not just versatile among all occasions, but it's also like lots of different ways. I can put this as a side. I can add it as an ingredient. It's like seen as like, it's, it's, it's super versatile, even within the eating occasion. Whereas vegetables, it's like, a side dish, which is kind of interesting, I think, considering that you and a lot of your listeners are probably doing a lot more combined foods or one sheet meals or pot meals or, you know, stir fries, maybe even et cetera, stuff that seems simple, but a lot of Americans just aren't there yet. It's true. People do think of it as vegetables as a side dish. I think with the movement towards plant-based, they're being Mm -hmm. included more with the main, but it is more of a side dish. Um, But I also want to talk about other countries Mm because in this report, it said over the past 16 years, the frequency in which Americans consume produce has declined by 10%. How does that compare to other countries? Is this a global problem or is this specific to the U.S.? Um, No, it's not specific to the U.S. Different um, countries, though, um, it is hard to compare a little bit because different countries... um, do a little bit, their their approach to to, um, tracking consumption data is a little differently than the U.S., but it is what we would call from a, I don't want to sound too dramatic here, but um, we would say that in the U.S., but this is true around the world, that we are experiencing a global fruit and vegetable consumption crisis. And it, and it sounds like, oh my gosh, there's so many crises right now. Um, however, is this has been a chronic underconsumption in the United States, but also around the world. And so most global citizens are not meeting fruit and vegetable recommendations. And so um, here in the U.S., it's like, you know, we're so, we're, we think we're so special or something. And so we, we look at cups of fruits and vegetables around the world. They look at grams and, um, and even, you know, around the world, most countries are not meeting recommendations. So there are certain countries that maybe are kind of up a little bit here or there, but it pretty much is a chronic underconsumption. And I think for some folks, you know, they choose a plant-based lifestyle also, um, whether it be for health, but maybe also for the planet. And so um, you see that type of narrative and or dialogue uh, bubbling up certainly around the world and um, even maybe it with a greater volume or extent, let's say in Europe. So this is a global, a global issue. Now, 
in the United States, we have many approaches to um, measuring consumption. So government data, for example, looks at volume. And, um, and so like cups, for example, um, this data is looking at frequency and frequency is a little bit different than volume. Um, frequency in our case is a proxy for habits. And so we're seeing that frequency is slowly eroding over time. Um, and that's concerning because that means that people are, less likely to actually have repeated um, exposure and or intake. And so therefore their fruit and vegetable consumption habits are lacking. And because volume um, consumption numbers have remained flat since 2004 is we need to, if we're even going to go beyond just flat is we want, we need to create or instill new fruit and vegetable consumption habits among consumers so that there's um, elevated volume type of consumption, but also more long-term sustained habits uh, when it comes to fruits and vegetables. Do you have any idea why we're seeing this decline? I, I feel like obviously I'm in the nutrition space. So obviously the things I'm seeing are different, but I feel like we're, we're moving more towards health and wellness being a prominent thing in the media. And obviously there's more push for plant-based. You even see it on packaged product packaging now. So do you have any reason why this has become a decline over the past 16 years? There's probably multiple factors associated with this. Um, So the WHO would look at, let's say, food and nutrition security like this. So availability, um, access and use. And so for some, I think, you know, when we really start to unpack some of this, it's like, okay, well, what's my world and what's someone else's world? And, and for, for example, if you're very focused, let's say on, um, serving a, of a population that's very focused in plant-based and that's our world, we may not always have exposure to other areas, you know? Um, and so that's normal. To, I mean, I think there's, I would tell you, for example, the collegiate food service setting, they're doing a great job. And I think among that population, we're seeing an increase, but it doesn't mean that that always translates to another population, for example. So, um, so I would say that, um, there is, there's just, there's a lot of um, factors that impede any healthful choice. And so despite all of what I would call the communications around fruits and vegetables or overall health and wellness, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate into behavior. It's a knowledge-based approach. And so what we're talking about is a knowledge-based approach, a feeling-based approach, and um, a doing-based approach. And so um, when it comes to availability here in the U.S., there are most Americans do have fruits and vegetables. They are they are readily available. Um, then you start to look at access. Well, do I have access to them? Um, a, some people have great access to all forms of fruits and vegetables. Some people have less access. Then you look at um, the the actionability or the use. And so this research demonstrates that a lot of people 
um, fruits and vegetables have not necessarily become actionable or actionable in a sustainable way. And so it's one of the most complex issues, um, consumer behavior. And so there are external forces that may make it difficult for people to easily incorporate some of these foods into their everyday life. I think that's why it's important to look at, okay, who's being super successful? And really about 10% of the population is being super successful. They are high frequency fruit and vegetable consumers. And, you know, they're eating fruits and vegetables at every single meal occasion. And because they're doing that, they also are more likely to be receptive to a lot of additional food and nutrition communications, i.e. recipes and things they can do on their own. And, and they're also experiencing the short-term benefits, which we can get into um, because long-term benefits like, you know, heart health, um, we just want that. Uh, it's not something we can feel immediately. So, so they're, they're also high-frequency consumers are more likely than most people to plan. And so they're making a conscious effort and a behavioral-based um, success metric for new habit forming is planning. So, so it's like, what can we learn from high frequency consumers and what are our medium and light frequency consumers experiencing? And so behavioral science would say that we, um, our behaviors, I would say level off as a result of the system in which we're operating. So, um, whereas, you know, for those light and, and medium consumers, maybe they don't have a lot of access or if they do, their schedule's not really permitting them to plan. I don't think it's like, Hey, I think it's this, this, and this. I, I think it's very extremely variable based on who the person is and what their life is like and the external factors that are affecting maybe their access, but also their ability to act on their intentions and that doesn't, that crosses socioeconomic lines um, for sure. And so it's not, there's not a one size, I wish I could say it's this, but there's really not a one size fit all. I will tell you though, that high frequency consumers, probably most of the people that are listening today, you're extremely inspirational and, um, and interesting to people who want very much to achieve a more highly plant-based or plant-forward um, diet and or lifestyle. And so for, you know, sharing your ideas, your thoughts and how you've been successful, I think is really important to bringing others along. Um, but I, I wanted to mention something about short-term experiences with fruits and vegetables. You know, as a food and nutrition professional for many years, I think, you know, you're looking at the food and nutrition literature and like, oh, okay. And it's just natural. You want to promote fruits and vegetables. Um, when I, when we really started looking at the behavioral literature, there became many more reasons um, to talk about fruits and vegetables. And one of them was actually cycle in the psychological literature. And that literature would have, let's say metrics, not like blood pressure or um, maybe even weight, for example, like food and nutrition literature would, but rather um, ratings of overall life satisfaction and happiness. And so what we found through looking at that literature on its own, and then also doing our own research is 
people that are consuming fruits and vegetables on most days per week. So this is like people like your listeners, six to seven days a week, they're eating fruits and vegetables. Okay. Then within that, those people who have more of a habitual day-to-day consumption, they also happen to typically consume more within their day. So again, they become these high-frequency consumers. They also report higher levels of overall life satisfaction and and, and happiness in the short term. And so this becomes a really interesting question. Is it the chicken or the egg? Is it the glass half full or the glass half empty? Are people who eat fruits and vegetables glass half full people? Are they are they experiencing more happiness um, because they ate more fruits and vegetables? <laughs> so there's something there because actually high frequency consumers mention um, the same barriers that light frequency consumers mention. You know, oh, I want to make sure everybody in my family like likes what we're eating and stuff like that. They just somehow overcome. And maybe it's planning is a big one. Um, Most of our habits, we only reserve about, I think it's five to 6% of our day-to-day brain power for conscious decisions. And the rest of it is what we would call automatic types of behaviors. So for example, you brush your teeth every morning So you, there's an every there, there's a morning. It's kind of in the same context. Maybe it's right before you get in the shower. Maybe it's right after you get in the shower. Maybe it's in the shower. I don't know. But you typically do something like this on a regular basis every day and in the same context, brushing your teeth when you do it and how you do it. Right. And fruits and vegetables um, are not like that. But there are ways to tap into the science of habit and behavior to try to instill some of those more what we would call automatic behaviors, Um, considering that, gosh, we only, you know, we need to be conscious about a lot of things. Uh, Fruit and vegetables just aren't making their way to the top. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about the long-term and the short-term benefits because you mentioned long-term benefits, like we prevent uh, heart well, or heart health, you know, we, we, we say that a lot as dietitians and it's not always tangible for people, especially people who are younger. Cause they're not necessarily thinking about that at that time. And then even talking about things like, uh, vitamins, minerals, fibers, that's also not super tangible. So I think that's really, really interesting. The mm-hmm. short-term benefits you brought up there. Cause that's something that you can kind of think about like, this is a, this is a really good benefit that could help me tomorrow today or tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think, I absolutely think you're right. I mean, a lot of people would even say, if you, you can reduce your risk for cancer, if you eat fruits and vegetables, that is like, who wants to think about that? Um, Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I might know it. I'm like glad it's there, but it's not necessarily something I want like into in my day-to-day thoughts. And so happiness is again, an example of that. No feel do this immediate emotion. Now I mentioned that fruits and vegetables, like they have different personalities. And so if fruit is a joyous or happiness is associated with happiness, probably because it's sweet and vegetables seem to be, let's say harder, you have to be smart for them you might want to tap into other emotions. And this can get into as well, like 
if, you know, you have, you're really super plant-based and you're like really hoping that your family kind of takes on a little bit more of this lifestyle. And so is it like, it's good for you? Uh, Maybe. Um, But what if we talked about to, there's a lot of a great sense of pride that a lot of people, let's say in your friend group might have, if they have young children, pride in serving healthy food um, and, or being recognized for taking those steps. That's totally different than telling people as a dietitian, for example, we can say this cause we are them, but is like telling people like what they should be eating. And I love so, that. That's so yeah. smart. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like not my own idea, but, um, but I'll claim it for today. Um, but I think this is what's so great about using emotions is Emotions are the stuff of life and it's what we experience and having positive experiences makes us want to repeat a behavior. So a case in point also too, like in this behavioral science literature, and I know I I presented this to a group of dietitians, like, oh my God, they kind of freaked out, is the idea of rewarding children for eating fruits and vegetables. Now you're like, what? Rewarding them with chocolate cake or something? No, I'm talking about straight up praise. Now, there was a concern that you were withholding praise maybe from another child that wasn't doing it, but there's something about social norms and young people wanting to appeal to that area. So from the behavioral science literature is positive reinforcement in the, in the context of verbal praise from parents helped young children eat more fruits and vegetables. If you want to get the latest cutting-edge information in the field of sports medicine, check out my new show, The Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. I'm Mike Reynolds. Each week I feature a new interview with some of the leading and emerging experts in our field so they can share their recent research, clinical experience, and best career advice. Check it out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, and I think that can apply really to anyone with any person in their life. Right. I mean, maybe it's a little weird if you say to a friend, Oh, you ate your Brussels sprouts. Good for you. (laughs) Well, or wow. Wow. You must, you must really take a lot of pride in what you're feeding your family. I just said the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, or like, it's like when I want my husband to do something, wow, you are great at taking out the trash. You just, you're just, (laughs) You're just on top of it all. Wow. Thank gosh. We, you know, we kind of like, oh, really? Do we have to say these things? Maybe, maybe for fruits and vegetables, because it's not so easy. Another thing, particularly, I think what we're seeing in this research is a lot of uh, millennials, uh, particularly those that are now moving into parenthood, is we're seeing that their fruit and vegetable consumption is going down. And actually that of their young children is as well. So this is super fat, super kind of scary, but also fascinating to me is light fruit and veggie consumers um, are very, are highly influenced by what their children want to eat. I can't think of any kid that's like until they've had repeated exposure, which is a whole nother um, behavioral science technique is to um, like, I can't wait. Can you please fix the broccoli tonight? with no butter on it. Do you know, like, I can't, that's not happening. So, um, so really though, is there something going on there? The busyness of life, taking 
children, multiple, you know, you have multiple kids, you go in 50 directions. That is really important and allowing children to have a say, of course, but to dictate what we're going to eat may not necessarily be translating into more fruit and vegetable consumption. Um, and so that's kind of, that's an interesting, an interesting one to me. So for example, parents and, or this has also been done in a school nutrition setting is serving fruits and veggies first, which is actually something that from our research, we're seeing that no one's actually doing, um, in real life, it actually increases consumption. Hmm, That's interesting. So if you were to, but if you were to give them, you know, a plate of Let's go back to broccoli, roasted broccoli, and tell them that you're eating this before you get the rest of your dinner. Are they actually going to eat it? I mean, how do how do parents get kids to try these things? Or- well, I think I think some of this too is about our own expectations, you know. So, and you may have heard this too, you know. So, when I was growing up as a young dietitian, there were very famous researchers that really talked about, you know, parents decide the what and the kids decide the how much, for example, and the concept of repeated exposure. And so repeated exposure, I think we oft, first of all, it takes time. This is annoying to us. Um, The idea that it might take literally 13 to 16 times, or it's definitely in the teens. Um, It may not be, but that's the number of repeated exposures. Okay. And the repeated exposure may not turn into loving, but the repeated exposure may turn into tolerance. And that might be okay. It does. I mean, we would love it, right? If people just fell in love with fruits and vegetables right away, but maybe tolerance is good enough. Meaning, yeah, I've eaten this before 13 times at least before. And so now, yeah, I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to like love it, but I'm going to eat it. Um, and so maybe the, the meal plan lineup, if you will, has a couple of tolerates and a little bit more. I fell in love with that one. You know what I'm saying? And so changing our expectations sometimes too is important. And so that's not Wendy saying that that's the behavioral science literature. So repeated exposure can lead to liking. It can lead to loving, but if it, if it's tolerance, that's, that should be okay too. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I also think something that is concerning for not only parents, but people in general is they think fruits and vegetables are too expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some budget-friendly ways that people can increase their fruit and vegetable consumption without really breaking the bank? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great, that's that's a great question. So for at PBH, we believe that, and so does, you know, all the global diet, a lot of the global dietary guidance as well, including here in the United States, all forms of fruits and veggies can count towards meeting those recommendations, which seem a little bit out of touch. So um, that would include fresh, frozen, canned, dried, and 100% juice. I think that's important because whether it's a budget thing or like just the, the, you know, do I have time to cut up the cauliflower or like, can I just throw the frozen, um, you know, cauliflower bag in the microwave um, and, you know, season a little bit and it's good. Um, that might cut out 10 minutes of my time and, uh, and my family is going to eat it. So for us, I think I'm looking at all forms as one way. And then also looking at which form meets the needs 
of which particular occasion. So again, which form meets the needs of the occasion and um, different forms cost, you know, at their, there's at different price points. Um, I think though what, you know, this is where we've gotten away from this in our society here in the United States, and this takes place around the world too, is we've become very accustomed for example, to having certain uh, foods all year round. And so berries are a great example. So, and grapes are a great example as well. So, you know, strawberries are kind of at their peak season at a certain, they kind of, it like starts around Easter and it goes through into the middle of the summer. And that's based on where they're grown. And then there's actually certain varieties that are also grown at certain times because of the weather conditions. And so, you know, when there's a lot of berries in the marketplace, it typically drives down price. And so they be, so those fresh berries are actually really affordable. And I might even have a BOGO type of offer on my hands, which I love. You can freeze those suckers too, by the way. Um, so looking at seasonality can also decrease cost, particularly for fresh canned um, and frozen and dried and juice. They're always in season, for example. And um, canned and frozen are kind of peaked at this kind of moment of ripeness. And then quickly um, from field to can, for example, might be somewhere between four to six hours, actually really short period of time. And so we've kind of captured that and, you know, tomato sauce on my pasta is a good thing. So I think um, looking at all forms is a way to think of, is a way to keep it, let's say, um, potentially inexpensive, depending on what you're trying to accomplish with the meal or snack. It also can help the experience, um, if particularly if you want to save some time along the way. Looking for seasonality is a great one. And then deciding how I might, you know, stock up on seasonal fresh, um, if I'm not going to use it all, because we definitely don't want to waste food. And then being open, right, to like maybe new items we haven't tried. Um, and then there's the tried and true, you know, bananas are pretty inexpensive. Yeah, no, I think uh, buying in season, my husband actually went to the supermarket the other day and said, what's in season? And I said, just look for whatever's on sale. And that's how you'll know what's in season. That's usually how I buy things. Because, you know, if you try to, like you said, if you buy blueberries in December or something, one, they're only, they're not going to taste great, but two, they're going to be incredibly expensive compared to if you buy them in July. So it's a really good way to try different things throughout the year. Just buy whatever's on sale. And that is generally what's in season. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a nice approach for sure. Um, but then there's things like, you know, potatoes and it's kind of the same all the time. Onions are kind of the same, um, you know, but what we're dealing with is perishable product, particularly in fresh. And so what's on sale, take advantage of that. Um, because that's a great way, particularly if you want to try something new and you haven't done something like that before. Um, so yeah, for sure. Last question. Has the pandemic changed people's consumption of fruit and vegetables at all? You know, this is, I love this question. So, uh, the answer is, I don't know, but I'm going to pull out my crystal ball. Okay. <laughs> And so, um, so a lot of the research that, you know, we mentioned earlier on in our time together is state of the plate and state of the plate was actually fielded prior to the pandemic. And that, and there was a reason behind that because all there wasn't a global pandemic, the other times we had done the research. So people wanted to, we really want to be able to see trends over time. Um, so let's now think about what happened during the pandemic. And so there's some 
there's different types of data we mentioned. This is consumption data. So there hasn't been a study of like straight up consumption like we've, we were talking about. Um, there has been clearly a lot of kind of eyes looking at what people are talking about on social media, for example, and also a lot of sales data. So for example, during um, COVID, yeah, there were a lot of appliances uh, because people are cooking at home and um, a lot of appliances increased uh, in terms of units off the shelves. And one of those was juicers. So that's kind of interesting. People are starting to juice more. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting. Um, or air fryers, right? Well, what were they putting in the air fryer? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll learn more um, after we do some of that research. But we also saw people early days, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe, remember that. But early days, you know, there was a lot of unknowns and people did stock up. They stocked up on canned and frozen and other, let's say, prepackaged items. Now, does that mean they ate all of those items? We don't know that. Um, they could be like sitting in someone's, you know, bunker right now, just waiting for the world to end. But instead, we would expect that, yeah, people were eating them, but we just don't know. Now, at a time too, fresh, um, with all restaurants being closed, fresh was flying off the retail shelves after people realized that they didn't have to, I don't know if you saw this, but there was like this crazy thing going on where people felt like they had to like bleach their oranges or something before mm -hmm. they feel yep. them. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. dear, dear Lord, please no. <laughs> and that was, you know, wasn't the case. We tried to do our best to um, combat some of that misinformation, but there was some, you know, people who are very uh, frightened. Remember we talked about emotions and if you're frightened that um, touching uh, certain items on the surface was going to give you COVID, you know, people, people decreased um, maybe some of their fresh purchases, but then it, it did shoot back up, particularly once we hit the springtime again. And those deals, as we were talking about, those started to be seen. People um, did start to eat, let's say more fresh. Now, in addition to stocking up though, early on, on the canned and frozen, people were stocking up on things that fresh, that did have great shelf life, for example, apples um, and potatoes, onions, those types of items. Um, so what we're seeing now though, and I think this one's really important is food service. If I just look at that particular sector and let's talk about like kids for a moment, or even adults like college kids, school age kids, is a lot of fruits and vegetables. Um, and I just talked with um, somebody at a leading food service company that services lots of either schools or college campuses or even nursing homes. But a lot of that, a lot of fruits and vegetables moved by open air and self-service like salad bars or fruit and yogurt bars. And, and so that's changed and th those things aren't, aren't there anymore. They like poof in an instant, even at like the grocery store, the salad bar is gone. Okay. Now it's stuffed with like, you know, alcohol and stuff. I've seen that. So, so, you know, some of those items, particularly in fresh, those, those, those opportunities are gone and we may have lost you know, the Tuesday lunch habit of getting a salad at the salad bar. So it'll be, it remain, 
it remains to be seen if consumption has significantly shifted long-term given the pandemic and its interest in stocking up or interest in preserving health and or immunity. And if I keep saying to myself, disruption is a behavioral motivator in some instances. We disrupt people's patterns and then they shift. For example, more people are cooking at home. Maybe they're cooking fruits and vegetables. So if a global pandemic doesn't change behavior, we have to ask ourselves what will. And um, I think we're very interested in doing research around the behavioral triggers that maybe were illuminated during the pandemic to see, okay, which one of those do we kind of, or two or three, do we double down on and um, make it easy for consumers maybe to sustain healthful habits that they may have latched onto during the pandemic? Long answer, but this is complex stuff, getting inside people's minds and maybe even their wallets and or their kitchens. It is tough to delineate um, what the future is, but we'll do our best. I'm very interested to see what you guys find out about all of this because you brought up so many good points. And it's funny, I'm one of those people who went out and bought an air fryer. Some people got a dog. I got an air fryer during the <laughs> pandemic. So, <laughs> well, oh, Wendy, I feel like we, I mean, if people don't eat more fruits and vegetables after this, well, I hope they do because you brought up so many good points. And I yeah. want people to know more about um, PBH, Produce for Better Health. Where can they find more information about that? Yeah, you know, thank you. Um, fruitsandveggies.org is our website. And there are so many tips and tricks. And so if you, if you know, some, some people are coming across um, the podcast today, and they're, and they're saying, you know what, I think I might be one of those light fruit and veggie consumers. There's a lot of tips and tricks there for you that just say, can you add, think about adding this to your favorite breakfast item? Or what about this as a snack? Or how do I make taco Tuesdays like more fruit and veggie forward, for example? There's a lot of those kinds of tips and tricks. For those of your podcast listeners who are, like I said before, like crushing it, we could actually learn something from them. And there's a lot of great inspiration there too, for those folks who are really interested in wanting to experiment. So fruitsandveggies.org, obviously you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at fruits and veggies at fruits and veggies. So we would love to interact um, with the listeners today. And um, my invitation to everybody is to have a plant. It can be simple. It really can. And, um, and it's my invitation to everybody today. And I second that. Please do. Thank you again for joining me. It was really interesting. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. And if you want to learn more from me, follow me on social media at Greenleets or visit my website at greenleets.com.